This morning's reading is from Luke chapter 3, verses 7 to 18. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptised by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came out to be baptised. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptise you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, when I was growing up, I grew up in a church where the minister used to preach the gospel with, at great length every week, uh, like every week at great length. Uh, unlike myself, I will not be preaching at great length today. And uh, he often would end up at some point uh, telling, dangling us over the flames of hell uh, while we were exhorted to give our lives to Jesus. Um, it was, I think, looking back, frankly, quite disturbing um, <laughs> and a bit weird, but that's what we used to get as a kid. And uh, for some reason, I survived all of that. Can you imagine the people rushing out to the desert to hear this great prophet, John the Baptist, preaching and this incredible stir and action is taking place? Uh, and what do they get told? You're a brood of vipers. Uh, and you need to repent and get your act together because uh, you are really off the track in terms of what you should be doing. John the Baptist was a fire and brimstone type preacher. Now you don't find many fire and brimstone preachers these days because uh, all of us preachers have been properly trained and we're much nicer. Uh, and we have accommodated the spirit of the age in which we live, one could suggest. Now maybe you still find them in the deep south in America, I don't know. But um, they don't, there's not much of it left uh, in mainstream Australia these days, but that didn't deter John the Baptist. So in the area around the Jordan River, and if you go to Israel these, these days, the Jordan is really just a drain. Uh, it's this little sort of trickle of water, if you're lucky, uh, which because all of the water's been tapped and used uh, because they guard and steward every drop of water in Israel. So it's not a great river like it was uh, in the day when John the Baptist was ministering. Uh, he comes, he appears, and it comes after a very long period of 300 years where there'd been no prophet in Israel. It's um, sometimes referred to as the intertestamental period between the time between the Old and the New Testament. So in a sense, there was something very dynamic and very dramatic about John the Baptist appearing on the scene, preaching with a great gusto about the one who was to come, the Messiah. One of the things that's actually very moving about going to church in the Middle East, if the service is in Arabic, is that they refer to Messiah quite regularly. We don't tend to think about the Messiah very much. We 
I mean, we're aware of the concept, but it's not something that's really deeply imbued for us in the way it is uh, in an Israeli-Jewish context like the Middle East. So there was a sense of something new, something happening, something dramatic taking place, a major shift. And so when it says, when John the Baptist went into all the country around Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins, it was a moment of great significance. Now, it's not surprising that the people wondered whether he was this long-anticipated king, the Messiah, that they were hoping and desperately yearning to come forth. Uh, John's preaching was not exactly, as I've said, uh, holding back. He accused the people of, people of being a people who paid lip service to the faith and were, in a sense, following religious ritual and actions without it necessarily being from the heart. And so he goes on to warn them that they need to pre produce fruit in accord with repentance. The ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now I think that's a very timely and challenging word for us today uh, as contemporary Christians seeking to live out our faith in the 21st century, to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Now for John the Baptist, the heart of the journey with God is a radical change of heart, a decision to actually turn from living in a particular way and to turn to live in a different direction, to actually move in the direction of following Christ and seeking to live for him. And that does involve an act of repentance and a commitment to Christ, and many of us may have made that decision at some point in our younger years. But repentance really ought to be an ongoing activity. We've already confessed our sins in the service today and been assured of God's cleansing and his forgiveness. And repentance isn't just a one-off thing that we do in order to actually give our lives to Christ. It's something we have to keep on doing. I was talking to someone yesterday who talked about the fact that they used to have a major case of road rage whenever they were in the car and got so angry that uh, his daughter got to a point where she didn't want to go in the car with him because it was unpleasant being in the car. Uh, my wife, for some reason, won't go to the football with me um, <laughs> because she's observed behaviour she doesn't consider to be appropriate. Um, we all have these tensions in our lives, uh, and that person has decided that they need to attend to their road rage. Well, repentance ought to be an ongoing attitude because if we actually are seeking to be true to Christ and faithful to him, we will be conscious of things in our lives that need to change and conscious of the fact that we ongoingly need God's cleansing and God's renewal and God's forgiveness. It's not just a one-off thing. It's something we have to keep doing again and again. But it is the pathway to forgiveness and the pathway to freedom and the pathway to living a new life uh, in the way that God wants us to live because we have to acknowledge our failures the fact that we've messed up, we aren't living in the consistent way in which we would claim to be, uh, and we have to seek God's help to live in that new way and to live differently. It doesn't happen automatically. We have to actually ongoingly come before God and seek his cleansing, his forgiveness, and his grace. Now, for us, it simply isn't simply relying on our baptism or our confirmation. Uh, this morning, we have four people now, Kirsty. Three, we've had an extra additional one. Yeah, so um, new information, uh, who are going to be received into the Anglican Church of Australia, and it's not about sort of affiliating with a particular entity of the church, which we call the Anglican Church of Australia. It's got to be something that's true and real 
and in the heart. I think that's what John the Baptist was talking about here to a people who'd come out to the desert to hear this new voice, uh, to break into a new situation, who was talking about a coming king, the one that they'd longed for and yearned for, that they actually personally had to express that in their own hearts and in their own lives. So uh, that's the way it ought to be for us. Now, the people at the time said in response to this, what should we do then? If repentance should lead to fruit and repentance should, our lives should be a sign of the fact that we are people who have repented and received God's forgiveness in grace, then what will be the fruit of what that looks like? If you have repented and if you've received God's forgiveness and if you're standing fresh in God's grace, what shall we do to produce fruit in keeping with repentance? Now, the answer is amazingly simple. Uh, as John puts it, he says there were two people, he says to the person with two tunics, share the one with none, and the one with food should do the same. Uh, another group of people who are standing by, and those people uh, are also exhorted. To the tax collectors, he said, what should we do? Well, don't collect any more than you're required to. Don't exploit people, don't extort them. Don't manipulate for personal gain. And some soldiers were standing there, and they asked, what should we do? And Jesus says, don't take advantage of your power to exploit or hold people to, random, to ransom. Be content with your pay. Very simple exhortations, are they not? And very practical exhortations. It's not sort of really big picture stuff. It's really micro stuff that John's talking about here, which will be the fruit of a life that's a sign that we've actually repented and received God's grace and that it's genuine and personal and meaningful for each of us. Well, one of the fastest growing industries in Australia is self-storage uh, because we have so much stuff. Uh, last year when Karen and I were in the process of selling our house, we went through what I called the year of hiatus where we had the house in the market and we couldn't sell it because of the lockdown and then we eventually did sell it and then we couldn't buy anything because of the next lockdown. Uh, so we had to eventually put some stuff in storage and live in temporary accommodation. I'd never been to one of those self-storage places before. You know those huge places? I mean, they're amazing. Has anybody been to one of them? They just go on forever. No, you don't have to put your hands up. That's an acknowledgement. You've got too much stuff. Um, but, you know, they go on and on with all these doors and corridors. They're, you wonder why there's lots of murder mystery novels set in self-storage facilities. <laughs> because um, they're genuinely scary places, but they're all full of stuff <laughs> because we have so much stuff, don't we? Yeah. Uh, one of the depressing things that happens after Christmas that happens every year is that the op shops in the main streets, when they're closed for a few days, when you drive past after Christmas, generally have piles and piles and piles of stuff left in their doorways, which some person has to come and sort out uh, because we're getting rid of our stuff. Uh, I was thinking about this. When I was a child, I think we probably had three outfits. You, know, you had your school uniform and maybe your sports uniform. You had your outfit that you played in and another outfit that you wore on very special occasions when you went somewhere special. Um, that was about it. We didn't have a lot of clothes when we were kids. Uh, but these days we've got so much stuff, don't we? Uh, it's unbelievable. So John's saying here, like, if you want to so have lives that are showing the sign of the fruit of repentance, then one of them will be by being a person who's generous and is willing to give away some of the things that we have, of which we have much, uh, because we'll be willing to actually be generous and free with the things that we have. Way back when I was a student minister, there was, I worked with a guy called Brian Telfer, 
And uh, Brian was this sort of larger-than-life character that was always kind of had people that he was helping out some way or another. And he had a garage that never had the car, and it was full of stuff. But it was stuff that could be given away. So often on a Sunday morning after church, he'd say, I'm going to need your help in the afternoon. And, he'd, and that help in the afternoon involved getting the trailer out, loading the trailer up with some furniture and taking it off to some person's place who needed the furniture. Uh, and you'd, you know, just <laughs> give the furniture to that person. And this just kind of went on and on. Uh, I'd never seen anything like it in my life. And it was an incredible example of what generosity looks like. What's well, a pretty simple exhortation, isn't it? Fruit that flows out of a life that is a life of repentance will express itself in something tangible and something real. It'll also be about not exploiting and not extorting and not manipulating for personal gain. It'll be about not being content with what we have rather than constantly wanting things that we don't have. Uh, and that's a huge tension for us, isn't it? Because we live in a consumer culture and the pressure is always on to want to have more things than we've got, isn't it not? Because that's how consumer culture works. We've got to keep buying stuff uh, in order to satisfy ourselves and to keep our economy moving. Well, real repentance will lead to real action, and real heart stuff leads to real, really practical stuff like being incredibly generous. I've always thought the antidote to uh, being affluent and comfortable, like most of us here are, uh, is to be generous. Uh, and to, that will be expressing itself in all sorts of ways for us as people. It's not for me to tell you what that should be, but I think that's something that we need to work out personally with our li in our lives. It could be being generous with your time, generous with your resources, generous with your gifts and your abilities. Uh, it is inspiring at present. I think that there are a number of Christian leaders in the country who are people who have been uniquely blessed with significant resources who have decided that they want to give all of those resources away before they die. And we're not talking about fives of millions or tens of millions, we're talking about hundreds, if not billions. Uh, and they want to give that work money to uh, support Christian initiatives, both in the world as well as in Australia locally. And that's uh, inspiring, don't you think? That if you've been so abundantly blessed, <laughs> uh, in a way that might seem inconceivable to most of us, that you would want to have, be a part of giving that away uh, in an incredibly large and generous way. Uh, I do have a part-time job other than working at St Columns uh, with Overseas Council Australia and one of the individuals I'm referring to, not by name, has given Overseas Council an incredibly large grant uh, in this year, well for Overseas Council it's a large grant, uh, which has meant the organisation has doubled in size in the last 12 months. And the reason that we've, we've doubled in size be is be because this grant will enable us to help theological colleges in the developing world to build on what we did last year. So last year we raised just about a million dollars fairly quickly really to help colleges to do what we what to go online overnight. Because every theological college in the developing world was physically shut down because their campuses were closed by their governments. Uh, and in order to keep operating, they suddenly had to go online overnight. Now some places were already doing this and were quite advanced in that, but most didn't have the equipment, didn't have the capacity and didn't have the wherewithal to actually manage this literally overnight. Uh, so here in Australia, we raised about a million bucks to provide laptops and bandwidth and to provide consultancy and training uh, to help those colleges to flex almost immediately. And it was a great story. Uh, and this, this entity that I'm referring to with this person who's got a lot of money has given us a lot of money uh, in order to help those colleges and other colleges to not just sort of flex 
to get you know a laptop and a camera, <laughs> uh, but to actually make this a part of what they are and what they do going forward in a more ongoing and permanent way. Uh, and that will transform the nature of theological education in the developing world uh, in a way that only happens once in one's lifetime, really, uh, taking advantage of this unique situation to get the capacity to have the ability to actually minister and to lead and to train and equip people in all sorts of locations, either physically or digitally. Pretty exciting story, isn't it? And that's happening because a particular person who lives here in Melbourne has determined they want to give a percentage of their money that they have accumulated away, and they want to give it all away before they die. Uh, and that means they're being incredibly generous. That's, no, not everybody's in that position, but that's an example, is it not, of what God is inviting us to do. That's the life of a fruit that reflects <coughs> repentance. Uh, because it ought to be expressed in something real and something tangible. Now, for, I think for each of us, this is challenging, both personally because we do live such comfortable lives. What does it mean for us to be generous and to give ourselves freely to others? And for us collectively as a community, what does it mean for us to be doing things in our community to, to meet those needs in our community collectively? Uh, now, as you know, I think I may have talked about this before. It's one of my convictions. Uh, that most churches, not all churches, will have the capacity to do that, this, but most churches need to be thinking more tangibly about what that might mean uh, as part of what mission looks like in the context in which we now live. Uh, we now live in a situation where the church is largely on the nose in our community. It's either considered to be largely irrelevant uh, or it's considered to be something that's a throwback to a different world or it's involved in stuff that many people would find offensive or off-putting because of our particular views on particular issues. That's the nature of our context, isn't it? Uh, the sex abuse uh, issue, which has been very predominant for the last five to 10 years, has uh, significantly impacted people's impressions of who we are and what happens in faith communities. Uh, whether that's fair or reasonable is another question, but that's a very real perception for many people. Now, in that context, uh, it seems to me that one of the ways in which we connect in a fresh way is by being more actively involved in mission and outreach, which is where we are involved in caring for and connecting with people in need. Now, that's always been a call for Christian people, but I think it's a more particular thing that God's inviting us to rediscover afresh uh, as a local church today. Well, to conclude, John the Baptist pointed people to Jesus. Uh, and he, as he goes, puts on it, one more powerful than him will come. And that person will baptize people with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And John, that this person would preach the good news because they themselves, in fact, would be the good news. And I guess that's a really strong reminder for us that at the end of the day, the thing we ought to be doing as a church is pointing people to Christ. Should we not? It's not about us. It's not about our community and it's not about our beautiful facilities in this lovely context that you have here in Hawthorne. It's ultimately what it means to present Christ and to present him afresh in our day, in our context and in our age. So what does that mean for you here at St. Columns? Well, that means that you have to present the Messiah in fresh and new ways again and again, because that's what God wants us to do as his people in our context in this day. That's about sharing our own personal stories, but as well as that, it's about sharing the story of what it means to be God's people together. 
It is still true to say that churches are incredibly healthy places in spite of people's impressions. Uh, and they are some of the only really active communities that exist in many communities where people gather weekly, freely uh, and happily to actually be involved in mutual service together and worship and acknowledgement. Uh, and where people can find friendship and they can find love, encouragement and support. That's a church at its best, isn't it? Uh, and that's what we have offer into this community as part of following on from the example of John the Baptist in pointing people to Christ. Well, today we want to be thinking about producing fruit that reflects the fact that we're people who have genuinely given our life to Christ and are seeking to live for him. For each of us, us that will be different things in different ways, but we also have to think about what that means for us to be, do that collectively as a community. And it's uh, my hope and prayer that God will bless you going forward, uh, that as you have a, a new leader coming among you in this coming week, that you'll discover afresh new things that you can do together while continuing the many things that you already do together uh, to point people to Christ. Amen.